rather you live your life in vanity You traded all your hopes and dreams for insanity I'm Father Harry Dean, a priest of the Diocese of Austin, and with me today is Deacon Ronnie Lastavica, a deacon of the Diocese of Austin. We are traveling through the Bishop's Document Ministry to Persons with a Homosexual Inclination Guidelines for Pastoral Care. In our first episode, we went over the very beginnings of their general principles that included respecting human dignity. Uh, the place of sexuality in God's plan, that homosexual acts cannot fulfill the natural ends of human sexuality. And today we pick up with therapy for homosexual inclinations. And as it shows in the document, question mark, this is a question. And then they go to answer that question. A considerable number of people who experience same-sex attraction experience it as an inclination that they did not choose. And I want to harken back to the first episode where it made a distinction between homosexual acts as a sin and inclination towards homosexual acts that's not a sin. So there's a distinction there that the church makes. If I'm inclined, it's one thing. If I act on the inclination, that's when we cross the line. So then it continues. Many of these speak of their homosexual attractions as an unwanted burden. This raises the question of whether or not a homosexual inclination can be changed with the help of some kind of therapeutic intervention. There is currently no scientific consensus on the cause of the homosexual inclination. That's in uh, in the catechism says it's psychological genesis, that is homosexual inclination. It's psychological genesis remains largely unexplained. There is no consensus on therapy. Some have found therapy helpful. Catholics who experience homosexual tendencies and who wish to explore therapy should seek out the counsel and assistance of a qualified professional who has preparation and competence in psychological counseling and who understands and supports the church's teaching on homosexuality. They should also seek out the guidance of a confessor and spiritual director who will support their quest to live a chaste life. The necessity for training in virtue is the next section following that very brief address to whether therapy is a good idea or not. There is another kind of therapy, it says, and this is, again, under the necessity for training in virtue. There is another kind of therapy, and it has therapy in quotation marks here, or healing of which we all stand in need, regardless of whether one is attracted to the same or the opposite sex. Every person needs training in the virtues. To acquire a virtue, to become temperate, brave, just, or prudent, we must repeatedly perform acts that embody that given virtue, acts that we accomplish with the help of the Holy Spirit and with the guidance and encouragement of our teachers in virtue. In our society, Chastity is a particular virtue that requires a special effort. Let me repeat that. In our society, chastity is a particular virtue 
that requires special effort. All people, whether married or single, are called to chaste living. Chaste living overcomes disordered human desires, such as lust, and results in the expression of one's sexual desires in harmony with God's will. Chastity means the successful integration of sexuality within the person and thus the inner unity of man in his bodily and spiritual being. That's from the Catechism. It is sad to note that in our society, violation of chastity and the pervasive human suffering and unhappiness that follow in its wake are not uncommon. Many families experience firsthand the human devastation that results when marriage vows are broken, lack of chastity, or the human heartbreak that can lie in the wake of sexual promiscuity, lack of chastity. Chaste living is an affirmation of all that is human and is the will of God. It is we who suffer when we violate the dictates of our own human nature. The acquisition of virtues requires a sustained effort and repeated actions. As the ancient philosophers recognized, the more one repeats good actions, the more one's passions, such as love, anger, and fear, become shaped in accord with good action. It becomes easier to perform good actions. Unfortunately, the opposite is also true. The more one repeats bad actions, the more one's passions become shaped in accord with bad action. It becomes more difficult to perform good actions for the disordered passions provide resistance. If one resolves to follow the path of virtue, however, one can make progress. By avoiding bad actions and by repeating good actions, one can train one's passions so that they become more spontaneously disposed towards good action. One eventually acquires and perfects the basic virtues of prudence, justice, fortitude, and temperance. Now, before I go on here, I just want to interject. We all know this to be true. Think about something like swearing. When you decide to do a swear jar or something like that to try and get yourself to break that habit, you know as well as I do, once you get that underway and you do that reinforcement, whether it's a swear jar or not, you get better at catching yourself before you commit the act of swearing. That's what we're talking about here with our human sexuality and virtues where we do either repeatedly bad actions that that put us in a disposition or a readiness, if you will, to do bad things or good actions that keep our minds, our hearts, and our spirits more in the realm of wanting to do good things. So now the document picks up. I'd like to just enter. Yes, please. uh, Please, please. You mentioned there that one can train one's passions. And I think it's a very important part, especially in the aesthetical life of of, of the spiritual exercises, that uh, this isn't just going to drop in and happen that there's an intentional effort on our part uh, aligning our will with the will of God so that we can move into this direction. So there, there is going to be work involved here. But there, that's, a, that's a beautiful image of, of an athlete training, you know, that we train in the spiritual life for the same results. So that Paul talks about running the race, you know, that, that he's out there working. But, but 
the fact is that uh, God supplies the grace for us to do this good work, but it will take some action. It will take some work on our part. Well, it does, and and that that work, and uh, and you hear it woven in here in the in the language of this document is repetitively necessary. In other words, I got to do it over and over again. Take a basketball and go and stand in front of a basketball goal if you haven't done that in a while, and try and put it in the basket. If you do it right away. I mean, you may be good and just a natural athlete and, and, and nail it, nothing but net. Most of us are going to go boing off the side if we hit the backboard at all. But if you stand there and do that for 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, ultimately you are going to get better at it. And it's similar. It, with a repetitive nature, the human person is made to put themselves in a place where they get better at whatever it is that they're repeating. Good news. Bad news is you can do that with bad stuff as well. Therefore, merely to experience disordered passions should not be a cause for despair. That's where being kind to people who are experiencing those disordered passions can really help out. But if you're ugly to people in the middle of that, you're going to stick them in despair. Now they have to fight despair before they can break free of that and start to maybe try and and order themselves back into a, into a right conduct. So we got to be supportive of people, even though that may not be our natural instinct. This is the common starting point for people at the beginning of training in virtue. The passions are not fixed. Unchanging obstacles, I'm sorry, the passions are not fixed, unchanging obstacles to moral action. They do not simply have to be repressed in order for one to act morally. Repeated good actions will modify the passions that one experiences. In fact, passions that have been properly disposed aid one in acting well. From the Catechism, passions are morally good when they contribute to a good action, evil in the opposite case. Passions are thus to be judged according to their relationship to good and bad acts, which themselves are judged based on an understanding of the human person and of the end of human existence. It is through the exercise of reason and by the gift of divine revelation that the church can offer a true understanding of the human person and of the end of human existence, providing a criterion by which to judge which acts are good natural, and thus conducive of human happiness, and which acts lead only to unhappiness. And we'll get into this later on, but Deacon Ronnie and I were talking on the way up here about this sense of, I've been in my disordered life, and I experience what I believe to be happiness. When you engage someone in that conversation, it's okay to accept what they say up front, but you get to lead them to understand that there's an even greater happiness than the one that they've embraced, believing that a disordered life is providing it. Maybe they really do believe that and they're a person of goodwill, but we have something even better to offer them. And once they embrace it, they'll see what the downsides were to that so-called happy life and find out what real happiness is all about. It may not always be possible to reach the point where one's passions are so well-ordered that one is always spontaneously moved to act rightly. In such cases, to do what is right and rational will involve a healthy restraining of some desires. Nevertheless, through persistent effort, we can at least reduce the resistance of our passions to acting well. Chastity 
includes an apprenticeship in self-mastery, which is a training in human freedom. A training in human freedom. What a wonderful line. The alternative is clear. Either man governs his passions and finds peace, or he lets himself be dominated by his passions and becomes unhappy. In this effort to train our desires to be in accord with God's will, as Christians, we do not have to rely solely upon our own powers. That's where some despair can come in. If you're only relying on yourself or you're convinced that there's no God to call upon, you're not going to get it done. We have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. That's a truth of our faith and a reality we all experience and we want to invite others to experience as well. The new law of Christ, which is principally the power and life of the Holy Spirit, gives us an ability that does not come from nature itself to fulfill the natural law. God will give us what we need if we will just accept his help. The natural law shows what we should do, as does divinely revealed law, such as the Ten Commandments. Sin weakens the will, however, so that we choose to do what we know is wrong. The new law of grace, the Holy Spirit in our hearts, overcomes the power of sin and enables us to do what we should. We are no longer mastered by sin. As Pope John Paul II has encouraged us, only in the mystery of Christ's redemption do we discover the concrete possibilities of man. It would be a very serious error to conclude that the church's teaching is essentially only a, quote, ideal Christ has redeemed us, and he's got an exclamation point there. Christ has redeemed us. This means that he has given us the possibility of realizing the entire truth of our being. He has set our freedom free from the domination of concupiscence, meaning that temptation to sin. And that's in John Paul II's encyclical letter, The Splendor of Truth, Veritatis Splendor. Christ accomplishes in us a healing from the wounds of sin, that we cannot accomplish on our own. Deacon Ronnie then takes us into the necessity of friendship and community as part of accomplishing things not on our own. One way in which the church can aid persons with a homosexual inclination is by nurturing the bonds of friendship among people. In their analysis of human nature, the ancient philosophers recognized that friendship is absolutely essential for the good life, for true happiness. And friendship of various kinds are necessary for a full human life, and they are likewise necessary for those attempting to live chastely in the world. There can be little hope of living a healthy, chaste life without nurturing human bonds. Living in isolation can ultimately exacerbate one's disordered tendencies and undermine the practice of chastity. It would not be wise for persons with a homosexual inclination to seek friendship exclusively among persons with the same inclinations. They should seek to form stable friendships among both homosexual and heterosexuals. A homosexual person can have an abiding friend relationship with another homosexual without gentle, genital sexual expression. Indeed, the deeper need of any human is for friendship rather than genital expression. And this comes from the National Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Pastoral 
research and practices. I think that one's worth repeating. Uh, Indeed, the deeper need of any human is for friendship rather than genital expression. In our society and culture today, that is going to fall on a lot of deaf ears. We know that to be true by what we see in entertainment media and all kinds of different ways of life, uh, that if it's not genital, then it's not worthwhile. But that's not what we're saying. No, and, and if we're arrested at that level, then it's always going to come up short. It's never going to fulfill what God intended for that relationship to be. And that, again, uh, is living that chaste life. We're seeing the beauty that is elevated into a new life in Christ and that relationship that you have. And we can promise you, if you'll just try it, if you are caught up in the, the what is now the norm of constantly looking for genital expression as a way for whatever you see as a, a positive in your life, put it aside, try it, and try concentrating on friendship of the heart. And you will find that you've been missing something and that it's something that you never want to lose again. True friendships are not opposed to chastity, nor does chastity inhabit friendships. In fact, the virtue of friendship and of chastity are ordered to each other. The virtue of chastity blossoms in friendship. It shows the disciple how to follow and imitate him who has chosen us as his friends. And this is from John 15, 15 who has given himself totally to us and allows us to participate in his divine estate. Chastity is a promise of immorality. Immortality. I'm sorry, immortality. And chastity is expressed notably in friendship with one's neighbor. Whether it develops between persons of the same or opposite sex, friendship represents a great good for all. It leads to spiritual communion. And we also see that chastity is the joyous affirmation of someone who knows how to live self-giving, free from any form of self-centered slavery. And this presupposes to the, that the person has learned how to accept other people to relate with them while respecting their dignity and diversity. A chaste person is not self-centered nor involved in selfish relationships with other people. Chastity makes the personality harmonious, and it matures it and fulfills it with inner peace. This purity of mind and body helps develop true self-respect and at the same time makes one capable of respecting others because it makes one see in them persons to reverence insofar as they are created in the image of God and they are of the grace of God, or through grace, are children of God. And think about the um, beatitude, blessed are the pure of heart. That Again, that whole understanding of, of purity and, and that sense of, of our chaste relationships with each other. And while the bonds of friendships should be carefully fostered at all levels, loving friendships among the members of a family are particularly important. Those ministering in the name of the church should encourage healthy relationships between persons with a homosexual inclination and the other members of their families. The family can provide invaluable support to people who are striving to grow in the virtue of chastity. And the local church community is also a place where the person with a homosexual inclination should experience friendship. 
This community can be a rich source of human relationships and friendships, so vital to living a healthy life. In fact, within the church, human friendship is raised to a new order of love, that of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a beautiful image. It is a beautiful image, Deacon Ronnie, and so important for us as we hear this document, and if it's the first time you've ever even come close to hearing the church speaking about these matters, if you and your parish life have had that moment where you see someone and you say to yourself, gee, that person comes across like they might be a homosexual person, male or female, and you have a, a instinctual negative reaction. Hear what this is being said right here, that they're being encouraged to come to our church. They're being encouraged to engage us personally to form human friendships with people who are not homosexual, even though it does say they can form them with homosexuals as well, towards chaste living. You and me, if we have any hang-ups about being with homosexual people, it's something for us to consider to ask our God for the grace to have that find a natural solution, an instinctual set of coming to I'm going to be at peace with this because I am part of the church that can assist this person in a healthy non-genital relationship to stay chaste within their homosexual inclination or even lifestyle if they're actually acting on it. Those are important things. And we're not saying those are easy things for, for a lot of folks, but we got to talk about them and we got to put them out there on the table and pray our way into becoming community that welcomes those who hear what we have to say, find a lot of it uncomfortable, but they're trying anyway and wanting to have the truth of the faith come from us in these moments of friendship for this example to assist them in living chastely. I think the fruits of this chaste life, this living chastely, is, is a growth in holiness. With human friendship, it is indeed necessary for good life of a human person. Friendship with God constitutes our ultimate end. So every person has been created to share in the communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The ministry of the church to persons with a homosexual inclination must always have the overriding aim of fostering the greatest possible friendship with God, participation in the divine life of the Trinity through sanctifying grace. And integral to friendship with God is holiness. God is holy, and all who would come near God must likewise become holy. And the Second Vatican Council made it clear that striving for holiness does not belong only to an elite few within the church. The council taught that all Christians, and let's repeat that, all Christians in whatever state or walk of life are called to the fulfillment of Christian life and to perfection of charity. And this holiness is conducive to a more human way of living even in society here on earth. Now, who doesn't want to be more human? Who doesn't want to be more fully alive? And that's, um, again, we, we take these uh, from the Second Vatican Council on the dogmatic constitution of the church. We see that they, they speak about all subsequent Vatican passages come from uh, the council also made it clear that this is not simply our own doing, but depends on the gifts that come to us through Christ. And in order to reach this perfection, the faithful should use the strength dealt out to them by 
Christ's gifts so that following in his steps, footsteps and conform to his image, doing the will of God in everything, they may wholeheartedly devote themselves to the glory of God and to the service of their neighbor. Church seeks to enable every person to live out the universal call to holiness. Persons with a homosexual inclination ought to receive every aid and encouragement to embrace this call personally and fully. This will unavoidably involve much struggle and mastery, for following Jesus always means following the way of the cross. And there is no holiness without renunciation and spiritual battle. The the sacraments of the Eucharist and the penance are essential sources of consolation and aid on this path. And these sacraments invite every person to enter into the dying and rising of Christ. This paschal mystery is at the center of the Christian life. And at the same time, they also provide us with a constant reminder of the great hope held out for all who follow Jesus with perseverance. Moreover, critical support for our spiritual struggle is to be found through diligent fostering of the Christian life, including the reading of Scripture and our daily prayer. In our next episode, we'll continue on with the cultural obstacles in bringing about aid and assistance, pastoral care, and proclaiming the truth as regards homosexual inclinations and lifestyles. Today, we conclude once again with a litany prayer, as the document has just encouraged us to pray. Holy God, mighty God, benevolent creator and lover of all life, I praise you and I glorify you. Calm my mind and still my body. Bring me to a deep awareness, O my Father in heaven, of your presence to me right here, right now, above me, below me, behind me, before me, around me, beside me, within me, as I lovingly contemplate your goodness and as I humbly bring my petitions to you for the special intentions within my heart today. St. Jude, patron saint of perseverance, pray for us. Holy family of Nazareth, model for all families, guard our families. Jesus, Son of Man, truest lover of every soul, have mercy on every member of our families. Jesus, Son of God, teacher of humility, have mercy on us. Blessed Virgin Mary, Queen of families, pray for our families. Saint Joseph, patron saint of fathers, pray for the father of our families. Saint John Vianney, patron saint of priests, pray for holy and chaste priests. Sacred Heart of Jesus, fount of all life and holiness, have mercy on our families. Saint Margaret Mary of Cologne, patron of those devoted to the Sacred Heart, pray for us. St. Michael the Archangel, safeguard against the snares of the devil, protect our families. St. Augustine, restless until you found rest in God, pray for our restless children. St. Francis de Sales, teacher of the devout life, pray for our families. St. Monica, patron saint of mothers, pray for the mothers of our families. St. Monica, mother of so many tears, pray for us. St. Monica, whose prayers for your son were answered, pray for our children. St. Andrew, who brought Peter to Jesus, pray for all those who bring my children to Jesus. St. Ambrose, 
exemplary life of companion to St. Augustine. Pray for the companion of our children. St. John Bosco, patron saint of young people, pray for our children. St. Thomas Aquinas, brilliant doctor of the church, pray for Holy Mother Church. St. Charles Luanga, defender of chastity, pray for our children. St. Margaret of Cartona, patron saint against sexual temptation, pray for our children. St. Terribio, defender of God's truth, forgotten in worldly customs, pray for our families. Our Lady of Seven Sorrows, who persevered through so much sorrow, pray for peace within our families. Our Lady of Seven Sorrows, who knew grief, pray for us in our grief for our children. St. Bridget of Sweden, graced with heavenly visions, pray for our families. St. John Paul II, devoted to Mary, families, and youth, pray for our families. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who leads us beside restful waters, have mercy on our families. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, who leaves the ninety-nine to go after one who goes astray, have mercy on our children. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, meek and humble in heart, in whom I find my trust, have mercy on us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Brother, if you walk with me, brother, 